episode 16 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Owls. Good night. Sleep tight. Right, guys, welcome along to episode 16 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Owls, uh, your monthly podcast on all the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I'm back out in the lounge team, I'm back out in the view, I'm no longer in a cold office, I'm back out, I've got my view over the city and it's been, we're in Christchurch right now, we've had a pretty, a pretty terrible spring and it was kind of one of the first days where it's calm, clear and collective. I'm very lucky where I live because I've got the view, but it's also, we're down this very long driveway, so it's very calm and quiet. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling all relaxed today. I'm kind of in my relaxed place. Um, what's been happening over the last month? Uh, not much has been happening, to be honest. I was, I was kind of thinking before the show, what have I been up to? And I looked at my diary, and I've just been working extremely hard. I had a, a good trainer sub. Actually, I had this really good... Les Mills um, is the company I work for in some kind of way, shape, or form. And I had a trainer weekend, and they had a guy from Air New Zealand, um, the guy Rob Fife, who, um, for those people overseas, probably don't know much about Air New Zealand, but it's our local airline company, basically. And Air New Zealand was a struggling company, and a few years ago, a guy called Rob Fife took over the company, and, and you know, he's kind of turned it around, and it's proving to you know be a pretty successful formula. And we were very fortunate at our trainer weekend to have... Rob come and talk to us and it was, it was a really casual there's only about 20 people in the room you know in the group of people that we were with and he came in he just kind of sat down and just kind of told us a few stories and it's really interesting in life where life's a funny thing how sometimes you get the right message at the right time and it's one thing I've been considering in myself over this last period of time as I've been developing my running business and some of the other things I do is what do I need to grow or where do I need to grow as and to be a leader and um, cheapest, I'm probably going into an area that I could talk a lot about and even do a show on is, is what does it take to be a leader and you know I may do that because it's a question I'm really thinking about in my life right now as I become more of a leader of other people is what does it take to be a great leader and what philosophy do I want to set that platform on and then how do I make decisions from that moment forward as a leader and so but it was really interesting talking, listening to Rob talk because he's a guy who um has turned a company around, has been hugely successful in doing that. And what one of the key messages, the take the take home message that we got from Rob was that it's really about treating people well and making people feel great. And it was interesting, you know, as a CEO of a, a, a national airline, the amount of time he devotes to just developing relationships with people and developing relationships with the lowest level of workers right through to the highest level of workers and it, it seemed as though and I don't know his calendar I don't know exactly what he does with his time but it seems as though you know probably a good half of his time in his day is spent just developing relationships and every relationship he develops he looks as a way to, to create a bond and, and create connection with the brand and the culture and everything about the business that he's running so it was just a really interesting insight and it's something I've been looking at within myself is going back to that leadership thing is you know what does it take to create a good leader and, and I because I, I, I don't think there are that many great leaders out there to be honest when you you look at most workplace environments you know most managers oh gee it's pretty unfair of me to say that most managers are bad but you know when you hear of a good manager it seems like they're you know pretty rare out there and I know that in my career I've probably only had two managers that I would consider absolutely phenomenal and they really stand out because they are so exceptional and yeah it's just 
anyway, I'm just ranting, but I'm kind of good at that at times. What else have I been up to this month? Um, not much else. I've been kind of busy, but it's been kind of cool. I did have one really special event happen. I had my race team runners, which is my half marathon group that I have, and we had a race in Marlborough, which is in the middle of the South Island in New Zealand. It's a beautiful race, and it was a hot day. And um, I suppose kind of going back to my point on leadership is that one thing I've really tried to develop with my groups of runners is that there's a sense of community and a sense of everyone supports each other and it was amazing the support our crew had for each other at the finish line and we actually won an award at the race ceremony because our crew was so great at supporting each other and everyone stayed until everybody had ran and you, you kind of came around this corner about 500 metres down the road and as soon as our runners turned the corner there was just this volume of noise of everybody cheering each other on right through to they got to that finish line and the nice thing um, for me in this kind of leadership role was that after the race most people said the highlight of the race was seeing the crew coming around that line so yeah it was, it was kind of one of those really kind of special moments that you have in life so pretty cool um other than that uh what's happening on the show this month well this month is I, last month i said that i'd talk about uh the motivation stuff on oh, no sorry the meditation stuff and it's going to be a bit of an interesting show because i think maybe some of you guys were hoping that i'd come out and say this is how you meditate and it's it's maybe not exactly going to be that it's Oh, you're going to see really soon what it's about, but it'll be interesting to see what you guys actually think of the show. Before I get into it, I have to say a big thank you to everybody. I, I had a, a very special moment. I'm having lots of special moments in my life right now, aren't I? Maybe I should talk about some downtimes. But um, I had a really cool moment the other day. I went onto iTunes, which is pretty much the king of podcasting. And I now have three podcasts. I have I Am Talk, which is the triathlon podcast I've been doing for years. And recently, John and I, the guy from I Am Talk, we released a new show called Legends of Triathlon, and it's it's a show that's around getting historical legends from triathlon and actually sitting down and having a conversation around what they are doing and what they did, and you know, you kind of get where I'm going with it. And I went on to iTunes and checked out the sporting section, and Legends of Triathlon was the number one podcast in the sporting section, and uh, which is pretty pretty big achievement in itself and then I went on to the main section where all different podcasts uh, compared against each other and that Legends of Podcast was in the top 10 so that was you know, again a pretty special moment but at the same time I thought I'd check and see how fitness behaviour was doing in the health and sports or health and fitness section of podcasting and the fitness behaviour was number one as well so, and, and these things come and go, you know, obviously I'm not always going to be number one, but to get to number one in iTunes is a pretty amazing achievement. And I must say a big thank you to everybody because I get a lot of emails from you guys and and you seem to be pretty passionate about this thing that we share with each other, which I really appreciate. But you're obviously telling your friends and family about what we're doing. So I just want to say a big thanks to everybody out there who's spreading the word on the show. I'm working really hard to make it great for you guys, but the fact that you tell other people that we're doing you know something pretty cool here it really means a lot to me anyway i'm gonna read some emails out at the end of the show but um other than that i think i'll rock on and get into this month's show i recently read the study that i found to be pretty fascinating to be honest and it was a, it was a study basically looking at parole boards and when trying to determine what were the influences that came about when they were giving sentences or or allowing people to go leave jail for the crimes they did and they set up the situation and in this study they did they did quite a few times so they're going to replicate it over and over again to see if there was a consistent result happening and, and i'm going to be really honest with you guys right now i don't have the exact figures in front of me right now but 
it's a roundabout and you'll get the idea of where I'm going with this as it progresses. But what they did is they got together four different types of people who had done four different types of crime. So the first thing they did is they got an Indian person who had a crime associated with drugs. Now, one thing you need to know is that the crimes that they chose for the different people all sat on a similar level of the effect on society. So, you know, the person who did drugs was a similar kind of crime in regards to the person who did a robbery. And they got these different people. So the first person they chose was an Indian person. And the Indian person had been done for drugs. So they had to go on to see the parole board and they went at 9am that morning to get their sentencing hearing or if they could get off at 9am and they, again, they've been done for drugs. At 10am, an Arab person went in and the Arab person had been done for robbery and served some time and they were going in at 10am to get their hearing done to see if they can get off their crime. At 11am, a European person who'd been done with sexual assault had their meeting with the parole board and then at 12am, an African-American person who had been done for fraud went in for their sentencing or their trial to see if they could get off from their crime or get out of jail. The people doing the study were really fascinated to see what were the things that influenced the parole board the most. And obviously looking at the way they set up the, the trial, they were really trying to see if different races or different crimes had a bigger influence on the way the parole board gave outcomes, I suppose, as we look at it. And they did discover that there was a massive range in the kind of outcomes that the different people got in the different hearings. So much so, again, I'm not 100% on the figures, but I seem to remember that some people had a 70% chance of getting out of jail in their parole board hearing, and it went down to other people getting right down to 7% chance of getting out of jail which is a massive difference when you look at it. So I suppose the question I have for you is, what did you think, or what do you think is the thing that got them off? Was it race, or was it the crime? Well, the fascinating outcome to the study was that, actually, race had no influence on the different outcomes the parole board gave, and neither did a crime. The most influential impact that had on the outcome of the parole board hearing was the time of day that the hearing happened. The Indian guy, the Indian person who went in with drugs, went in at 9 o'clock in the morning, and because they went in at 9 o'clock in the morning, they had a 70% chance of getting off the, you know, getting out of jail in the parole board hearing. But then, as the time went on, the chance of you getting out of jail decreased significantly, and the person, the black person who went in for fraud, they only had a 7% chance of getting out of jail. The conclusion to the study was that actually it wasn't about race and it wasn't even necessarily about the crime they had done. It was more around how the judges were getting more mentally fatigued as the time went on. That when a judge first turns up at nine in the morning, they feel fresh, they're well rested, they've had a good feed and they're in a good place. So that they can make good rational decisions based on the information that they have in front of them. But the longer the time period went on, within you know this period of time where they were doing their parole board hearings, the more mentally fatigued they got. And the more mentally fatigued they got, the safer decision they made. And in the parole board hearing situation, the safer decision is just to leave somebody in jail. If you're mentally fatigued and you look at the situation, you go, well, 
oh, I'm getting a bit tired here. I don't want to make a mistake. What are you going to do? Are you going to let somebody out of jail who could be a menace to society? Or are you going to leave someone in jail and just take the safe option? And in this study, they determined that really, if you're going to be going to a parole board, you want to be the first person in the morning to get in there because you have a much higher rate of getting through, 70% rate of getting off and getting out of jail. Whereas if you're the last person before lunch, you go down to 7%. The fascinating thing about the study was they actually then went post-lunch. So then after the people had had a break and had some lunch and got back into their kind of habit of, you know, a bit of relaxation and resting and getting back into it, the gain, the success rates of getting out went up again. I don't know if it went right up to 70, but again, it went up nice and high. So what does that teach us? It teaches us a couple more important things that we're going to lead in into today's show. And the first thing is that we forget that mentally we get tired. And that as we mentally get tired, our decision-making process gets poorer and poorer and poorer. So I suppose the conclusion I have from this this kind of study is that the mind really is just a resource, and it's a resource that's not completely full all the time when we think around the energy that the mind takes to be great at you know being the best version of yourself that really the mind is just like a cup of water and that the more you pour the energy out the more empty it gets and the more empty it gets the poorer we get at making decisions if we go back to our example from the study if you go in at 12 o'clock there's a 7% chance you're going to get off from you know get out of jail whereas if you can get at 9 o'clock when the judges are fresh mentally they're going to make better decisions, which gives you a 70% chance of getting out of jail. And when we think about our own lives, it's funny because we have this, I'm kind of ranting as I always do, but it's funny because we have this expectation around movement. We, we totally get that you, know, you can't continuously push yourself physically forever and ever, that even the most extreme endurance athletes in the world understand the importance of rest into being successful as an athlete. They have rest strategies in place. They make sure they get plenty of sleep. They put good nutrition in their body. Everything around their physical, they understand this concept that there is not an unlimited supply. And that because there's not an unlimited supply, we need to actually make sure that we're putting in place systems that are getting that energy level back up so you can get out the door the next day and train really effectively. But when it comes to the mind, we don't, you know, it's not really acknowledged enough that it is a limited resource. And if we think of it as a, you know, a cup of water that's full, that once you start a new task or once you've had a refresh in your mind, then as it, you spend more time doing activities, that cup is getting lower and lower in energy. And at some stage, if you want to be effective in making decisions, you have to refill that cup up to the top. The other thing I find really fascinating around this whole idea of that, you know, if, let's go back to the cup analogy that, you know, you have a cup full of energy and, and, and once you start activities, that cup is slowly depleting in energy. And at some stage, you have to refill it so that you can keep making good decisions. And I suppose if we look at the cup situation or scenario, that the longer you, you wait before you make decisions or you refill that cup full of energy and, and rest and recovery, the longer it's going to be or the more you make bad decisions. So as the cup gets to that last quarter of the cup of energy, it's almost like your decision-making process is depleting as it is going down. So when the cup's at the top, when it's totally full, you can really resist temptation in life. You can be really, really great at resisting and making good decisions, and that can be in any area of your life. That, you know, like When you're feeling fresh and rested and great, it's easy to get outdoor and do exercise. Whereas then when that cup's in that last little drip at the bottom of energy... It's really hard to get out of the door and do exercise. 
And what's fascinating around the times we live in is that we neglect to remind ourselves of the demands we are putting on ourselves. Like, it's fascinating. I do talks a lot and I do facilitation a lot. And sometimes I just ask people, you know, like, who feels they're busy in their life right now? And nowadays, everyone puts their hands up. Everyone, everyone listening to the show right now thinks they are busy. Everyone's got a demanding life that has so many demands on the expectations around decisions you have to make in your life, be it work, be it family, be it, you know, activities that you like for yourself, be it anything that you choose to do, there is a decision-making process that goes around that. And for some reason, we neglect to think about the, the energy demands of making decisions, and we think we can fill in a lot more than we can than is really realistic for our life. You know, if you, if you look at this, a similar situation with the physical, I think we all understand that, you know, the physical can only go so far before needing a rest. You know, that it, you can only exercise so much before you actually have to stop, refuel, have a rest, and then maybe, you know, get yourself ready for the next session. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in some ways, it, it's fascinating because we understand it with the physical. And maybe to some degree we understand it with the mental, but I don't think we acknowledge it enough in the world that we live in today. That when you think about it, you think about your day today, you think about your day yesterday, you think about your day, your everyday day, how many decisions are you making ongoing as you go on throughout your day? And decisions nowadays aren't just small decisions. You know, there's a lot of us out there listening to this right now who have to make decisions that are quite energy consuming. So if we go back to my cup analogy, which I kind of made up just before, which I'm kind of, I know it's very basic, but I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> so, so, you know, my cup analogy, you know, I've actually got a cup of glass next to water me right now. And, you know, each time you're making a decision that's a little bit stressful, it's like you're taking a sip from that cup continuously. And again, like I was saying earlier, the longer you go sipping from that cup without you know, stopping, resting and refilling that cup of energy, the more you're going to get poorer and poorer at making decisions. And in today's society, we have to make a lot more decisions and a lot more stressful decisions, hard decisions, Every single day. Just stop and have a think about it. Stop and think of your life right now. Think about how many times from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed, you are making decisions that take energy from your mind. Now, there are two types, you know, well, there's lots of types of decisions, but there are the habit decisions. There are the habit decisions where, you know, it's just the same thing you do every morning. You wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. There's actually no kind of energy stress from that, you know, because it's just a habit you've maintained. But when you go to work and you've got to make a decision around a project or when you go to training, you've got to make a, you know, a physical, mental decision to actually stay focused and work hard or, or to not drive home and to drive to the gym, they're all taking sips from that cup. And some decisions are like taking gulps. If you've got a really big thing happening in your house right now with your kids that is creating a lot of stress, it's like taking a big gulp from the cup. So where am I going with this? What's the whole point of telling you all this stuff? Well, today's talk, I really want to talk about the idea of resting. And I'm going to talk a little bit about meditation a little bit later on because I know unless I kind of promised that last month. But it's funny how the way we set up our lives um, and you know what, some societies are a little bit different to how we do it in, in my society and in most Western cultures, but we set up our life where we basically, from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed, we expect that full cup to last us for the day. We expect to be able to make good decisions non-stop right through to the end of the day. 
And it, to me, that's a bit of a failing system. To me, if you want to be successful at making decisions, you've got to put strategies in place throughout your day to allow for that cup to refill. Why is this important? Why is it so important to actually to think about it? Before I kind of go into the hows and, and some of the other stuff, but why is it so important? Well, <clears throat> it, to me, it, it's, it's so important because when we make poor decisions, we tend to lead ourselves down a path that takes us to a more unhealthy place, takes us to you know, the place that we don't want to be. When you've been sitting at your desk for five hours and you're just mentally fatigued, and then you look over at that vending machine, is there a higher chance that you're going to go and have a whole lot of snacks? And is there a higher chance that you won't just get one snack, that you actually go and get five or six bloody snack bars and go absolutely crazy on it? That when we get to that place where we're mentally fatigued, like you know the parole board situation, we tend to just look, make poor decisions. We tend to just go with what will ever work right then because we actually are mentally fatigued. We can't be bothered with the fight of making a good decision. In the vending machine situation, when you turn up at work at nine in the morning, you see that vending machine and you're determined you know, that right now chocolate's not a good thing to be eating, it's not a problem because you're mentally strong. But then when you look at the vending machine at one o'clock in the afternoon, you've been sitting behind your desk and making big decisions and answering hard emails and having that cup slowly deplete. You look at it and the temptation will come up in your head, why don't you have a chocolate bar? And it's not necessarily that you're a bad person that you know that you have that thought. Everyone has the thought of temptation. You know, temptation is always going to be around in life, but how you respond to it is is the key, really. But when you're mentally fatigued and that cups on the last drips, you haven't got to fight to resist the chocolate bar. You're going to lose that battle. So ultimately, one of the biggest benefits of thinking about this stuff here is that you're going to be better and better if you can implement good rest strategies and good recovery strategies. You're going to be better and better and more mentally strong with that full cup to make decisions that you think are good in your life more often. So I suppose the first thing we need to think about is how do we know when we need to make those decisions? And I suppose ultimately what you need to start to do is you need to learn, and I'm going to do a work on, there is a workbook to go with today's show so you can actually look at this. But the first thing you need to do is you need to learn when you are starting to get to that lower level of the cup. And sometimes it will be a habit thing. So you may know, you may look at your, you know, through doing a process like the one that's in my workbook for today's show, is you may learn that, you know, doing a four-hour block behind a computer is actually a bad strategy for you to do when it comes to thinking about decisions you make. And you can just start to create awareness around that. So what you can do is you can, you know, over you could do like a time period map around what you're doing. And within that map, what you're trying to do is you're trying to see where decisions start to get poor and where you go, you know, where you're mentally kind of making poor decisions. So you might look at your timetable the first couple of hours of work and you might say, okay, well, I've made some really good decisions there and I seem to be strong. But then that kind of half an hour leading into lunch, the poor decisions might be that you jump on Facebook too much and you're actually not being that productive at all. And it's not that, you know, again, because you're just sick of making hard decisions. So you're trying to find the easy option. You might be looking for distractions, so that's an example there. So you're trying to learn that point where you are actually getting mentally fatigued. And then what you're trying to do is you're trying to implement strategies in place at that point that allows for the cup to get refilled. And that's where I'm going to talk a little bit about meditation and, and some resting strategies in a minute. And then you're trying to trial this stuff, okay? So you're trying to figure out, okay, well, first of all, when do I start to get mentally fatigued and when do I start to get poorer at making decisions? And then, 
okay, well, what can I implement at that time? And we'll talk about that in a minute. And let's just try this for a period. So, okay, well, instead of trying to go for four hours in front of my computer desk, trying to make big, big decisions, after two hours, I'm going to stop, I'm going to do something, a strategy we'll talk about in a minute, and I'm going to try that for a couple of weeks and notice if that has an influence on the way I make decisions, you know, ongoing. Then if that works, well, that's obviously something you want to imply long term. Before I get into the implementation, I think there's probably two things we need to think about. Is first of all the habit. The habit is the idea that you know each you know what kind of habit have you set up that actually makes the cup go too low before you need a refill. So the example where there is the one I've kind of already been using, where you know you've actually created a habit where you get to work, you kind of set up your day, and then you get behind your computer and you work for four hours non-stop. But really, once you get past hour three. You really are just Facebooking, you're not being that productive, you're checking your emails too much, you're, you're really are making poor decisions, you're starting to look for the snack bar, you're kind of doing all these bad decisions where that last hour of work is just absolutely non-productive. So if you're looking at it, you've got this habit where you've created a four-hour work period, which is actually making you get into that last point of the cup in that last hour. So what can you change about that habit? One thing you could learn is you could learn, okay, well, I work better if I work in two-hour blocks for 15-minute breaks in between. The second thing you need to think about when it comes to big making decision processes is on days where you have to make extremely big decisions, how can you make sure you implement better strategies to be better rested and better to attack those decision making processes? So you, let's say you've got a day at work or you've got a day of training where you know you've got quite a few hard sessions. So you know you today you know, you're going to be heading out the door at 12 o'clock for a run and it's going to be a hot run and you have to do a really hard session now, if you go into that session and your cup, again with my kind of analogy I've created, if your cup's in the last quarter of the cup, sure, you may get out the door, but the chances of you being successful in that session are pretty low. You'll probably get out the door and you'll go to yourself, oh, I'm just going to tick the box today. I'm just going to get out and just do it and that's going to be okay. But if you know that's coming up, if you plan well ahead when it comes to the, you know, the outside of the habit decisions, you can plan so that your mind has a full cup ready to make yourself make great decisions as you're going to do that training session, and so you can achieve the objective of that session, which will give you better results. So the first thing I need you to do is to, first of all, understand the benefits of doing this, and the, the benefits are A, better decisions. Better decisions ongoing more often in your day. B, learn when your cup gets too low and you're actually starting to make bad decisions in your day so actually look at your life from the outside and look at you know a it could be the habits you know what habits have you created that makes you actually get to a certain period of time where you make bad decisions and then b what are the key moments in your day where you actually have to be more mentally prepared for big decisions and it could be you know around family it can be around life it can be around whatever Let's look a little bit around the implementation, and so then I suppose to see is when will, what will you use to implement the rest strategies and the recovery strategies, and then lastly, how do you trial that to see if it's working or not? And the first thing I think we've got to think about when it comes to implementation is that what do I need to do to get that cut back up to full? And there's a few things that we can talk about. First of all, <clears throat> a bit of a shift in, in your emotional state. If you've been sitting behind the computer desk for four hours non-stop. No wonder the cup is at its lowest level. That if you're just kind of staying in that same place, you actually need to get up, move around, get your physical self doing something totally different and, you know, just get up and uh, change your emotional state because you're kind of stuck in this place which is not taking you to a place that you want to go to. Whereas sometimes it's getting out of your desk, taking a walk around the office, getting outside, 
makes a big difference to getting yourself back to being fresh and lifting that level of the cup back up to the energy around making good decisions. Excuse me, I've got something in my throat today, so I'm kind of like coughing a lot, so I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> sorry. So um, so that's the first thing, and I'll give an example of this. I've got this lady I've been coaching for a while, and um, she's got some stuff that she's really trying to work hard on, and she has a period in her, her afternoon. We've, we've identified that for her, her afternoon becomes her period around making bad decisions, and, and for her it's the eating stuff. We've been working with some of her eating habits. And it tends to be that pretty much once she gets in from lunch, from that afternoon period, she found that she'd have really a lot of bad snacks around three o'clock and she'd end up eating way too much chocolate and you know it's that whole vending kind of machine problem where around three o'clock she's been making these decisions for a long period of time and her cup's now at lowest level of decision making energy and every day for years she's been having these snacks and these snacks aren't really helping her achieve the goals that she's trying to eat around nutrition or achieve around nutrition so what we said what what we implemented was a 10-minute walk at 3 o'clock. <clears throat> so instead of getting it, you know, instead of losing the battle with the temptation of the vending machine, we've identified that once she's kind of been a couple of hours back after lunch, she's mentally fatigued about making decisions. And that the idea of the vending machine being right next to her makes her lose that battle. So we've created an emotional state change. We've got her out of a desk, we've got her outside, and we've let her have a relaxing walk around what she's doing. The results have been massive. Like it's, it's fascinating watching this stuff because it's it's so true. Like you know, I'm sure some of you guys listen to this and it's making a lot of sense to you. But the real world experience I'm having as a coach is that the results are real massive. You know, since been doing this, she's been doing this for about two or three months now. And and a she tells me that she just feels she couldn't live without it now. That stop in the middle of the day and that ten minutes is so productive in her being successful. But also that the idea of the food, the temptation that was been a battle for years, has suddenly disappeared. And because really what we've done is we've recharged your mental decision-making process by giving yourself 10 minutes to get out of the the office, have an emotional state change, recharge that cup up a little bit more, come back into the office and refocus on the decisions you have to make for the next period of time. So that's the first thing we want to think about is we want to think about the idea of a state change, changing the emotional state and changing the environment you're in for a short period of time just to get yourself in the good place. The second thing is nutrition. I'm not going to touch too much on nutrition right now, but nutrition is energy. And if you are finding you're getting depleted with nutrition, getting good nutrition in, and I'm not talking just getting nutrition in, I'm talking getting good nutrition in. And again, if we learn, if we can start to think of the strategies I talked about earlier, if you can learn when you're going to start to deplete and you can put good nutrition in at that stage, there's going to be a much better chance you're going to make good decisions. And so I suppose there's another situation. I'm using a lot of work today, but we'll go with this. You know, through looking at your day, you've learned that, you know, you actually need to have a bit of a short break around 10 o'clock after the first two hours of work where you want to recharge that cup up a little bit more, put a bit more energy back in that cup so you can get through to lunchtime and make good decisions where you're not getting on Facebook, where you're not eating snack foods. And so part of that can be an emotional state change. So you get out of your desk, you actually walk out to the side for a couple of minutes. But then within that as well, you choose a healthy snack and that can be a piece of fruit or something that you know is going to give you good energy in a way that's, you know, like not high sugar foods that are just an energy boost or, you know, not just high caffeine foods, but actually a real good nutritious snack um, that's going to make a difference and put good energy in your body. So then when you get back to your desk for the next two hours, you're really focused on the tasks that you have at hand. So that's where nutrition comes in. We can go into treat nutrition more later, but for now I think that's you know, nutrition that's what we're gonna to touch on. 
Then the, th- the third and fourth thing that I recommend is a deep level rest. And if we go into the beginning of the podcast before how I was talking about how it's funny how the way we've set up our lifestyles is that you have from the night to the morning you have this really massive charge of, of a reset of energy. So you wake up in the morning and, and you know you've got this big charge of where you've just had you know up to eight, ten hours or however long we sleep of sleep and then we expect that to last us for the rest of the day. And like I was saying before, in today's life we have these huge demands around what we should be doing with our time. And these huge demands around the decisions that we're making that depletes that cup down to the lowest level. And that's where a mid-afternoon rest, sleep or meditation is a really, really valuable thing. I'm going to touch a little bit on meditation here, but I'm going to be really honest. I'm not going to give techniques because, and I was thinking about doing a, a, a podcast on techniques for meditation, but I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy who's done it for a really long time, and I've had this one method that I've been doing for a really long time. So I, I actually think you're better off pursuing um, some courses or, or seeing someone in your local area who can actually spend time with you developing your meditation because it's not the kind of thing where you just read something or you hear some guy on a podcast talk about it and then do it, you need to practice it a lot. But I'm going to touch on a little bit around meditation and the value of it and something to think about in regards to it. Uh, I suppose the first thing is is that I actually think one of the biggest benefits of, of having the habit of meditation is that you stop and you have that daily recharge. I've been meditating since I was, oh, I think I was 19, 20. It was the year I went to university, I learned to meditate. And at the time... I, mean, I do TM, which is Transcendental Meditation, and to be honest, I'm going to be really honest with you guys, I think a lot of the thinking is kind of really weird, and uh, it doesn't really hit a note with me, but the technique worked for me really well, and what was fascinating, when I learned to meditate, I was at university, I was pretty much a poor student, but I knew I was also exercising a lot, and I felt I needed some way to rest in the middle of the day, so I went and did this course, and it cost me $700, now this is, you know, 14, 15 years ago, and so, you know, and I was a poor student, so it was a lot of money to spend on meditation or to learn to meditate but I thought no no I'll do it and I went in and it taught me a process and I'm going to be really honest the process is really really simple you just say a mantra you just say two words over and over again in your head so it's not rocket science and they'll, they'll try to sell you on why you know this form of meditation is amazing and I don't know if I necessarily believe that but what's been fascinating over the years is that a lot of people I know have loved the idea of meditating and they'll learn they'll learn a technique and they'll learn they'll go away and they'll learn transcendental meditation or they might learn some kind of Buddhist meditation or they might learn a certain type of meditation. And they try it once or twice. And they you know, because they've tried it once or twice and they don't actually get any effect from it, they just think they're bad at it and they don't see they don't understand the value of it. And meditation is one of those things where it's kinda of like running. I often use this analogy when I think about meditation. For someone who's never run before they don't understand the buzz of running. When they first go out running, they get out the door and every step just hurts. It's just pain. And so you go to them, oh, you know, someone is a runner, you go, oh, I love running. It's just such a rewarding part of my life. You know, and, and for the people listening to the show right now, you'll totally understand why running is such a great thing. But if you've never ran before, you go out the door, your body's sore, it's hard work. You know, running for a lamppost just seems like it's never going to end. You get home, you feel sore. The next day, work, walking hurts. It's not a satisfaction feeling. It's it's a feeling, of, oh, my God, this is just hard work. And for that first period of time for a new runner, it's a really hard thing to get them to understand why running is great. Now, if you can get them through that first month to six weeks, 
then they start to go, oh, I understand. It's actually fascinating. So I've got my Get Up To Five crew, my new runners that I've started a few months ago. And and in the first crew, I had a, a lady called Dale. It was a lovely lady called Dale. And, and Dale was saying how, you know, she. I remember the day she texted me. She goes, now I understand why running is so great. And because she'd been doing it for about four weeks and, and she suddenly was starting to understand the benefit of just getting out the door and the freedom of running. And it's something you can't really put to words. You can't really sell that to people because it's just an understanding you have once you've experienced it. And the problem with running for the majority of people who don't exercise is that running doesn't, that doesn't come until you've actually taken a few steps in the direction of doing it. And it's the same with meditation. That meditation is one of those things that when you do it and you may do it consistently, the value of doing it is absolutely huge. But for most people, they're not willing to do those first few steps, that, you know, that four weeks of running before you understand the running high of getting the value of meditation. And that's where it's interesting looking back at me, like as much as I paid $700 for a course which taught me how to say two words over and over again, Really, really, well, you know, looking back, and I remember thinking, what a rip-off. I can't believe I spent 700 bucks on that. But the thing was, because I committed $700 to doing it, it made me stick at it. It made me think, well, if I spent 700 bucks, I'm going to spend the next month doing this every day. Or, you know, I'm just going to do this every day. And then after a month, I started to understand the value of doing it. And looking back over my life since that time, I don't want to sound like a mum myself, but I... I, I do feel I achieve some pretty big things in my time and the time that I have in my day. I, I seem to get a lot of good things done. And I really think that a lot of it has to come down to the stuff we've been talking about today is that probably more subconsciously in my earlier years, but consciously nowadays, I actually stop and choose moments to recharge my cup, to pull fill that cup back up to the top. And meditation for me is one of the biggest tools I use to do that. Every day around 2 o'clock, anywhere from 12, today I actually did it just before I did the show. Every day around 12 to 2 o'clock, I stop what I'm doing, I get out of my office, I go make a lunch actually, and I get in, sit, in, sit in front of you and have my lunch, and then I lay down and I meditate for 20 minutes. And then from there, it's like I've started the day again. And what happens from there for the next few hours Again, I'm back in, and that cup is recharged 100%. So the decisions I have to make, I don't have that constant struggle because my cup is, you know, pretty much empty. It's fascinating. You know, this year has been a very hard year for the city I live in. You know, when I started the show at the beginning of the year, you guys would have listened to me talk about the earthquakes, and and it was a really, really massive time in the people in Christchurch's lives. People were losing their homes, it was, you know, for a period, I didn't know what was happening for my job, there was uncertainty around just pretty much every of your life, you know, and you think about energy costs right then, you think about, you imagine you lose your house, you lose, you know, family members, you're not sure about your job, there's, you know, stress everywhere, you drive around the streets, roads are torn apart, the buildings are crashed down, houses are on angles, you know, it, it was a horrible place to be living in. And I got a call from my manager and, and I, you know, I just told her how I was feeling and, and she rang me back a few months later. I, was, I saw her a few months later and she said, you know what was really fascinating about you, Bev, was that I rang everybody who works, she was a person who worked in Auckland, a different city to me, and she said, I rang everybody who worked in the Christchurch branch, which was about 20 to 30 people that day, and you were the only person who went, oh no, I'm going to be right, no stress, I'll be right, I'll make it work out. 
Now, I understand that um, as a person I have a pretty positive outlook and I'm kind of very optimistic in my view of the world that I have this philosophy that it's always going to work out. But I actually really put a lot of that down to the fact that I have this thing in my day that makes me stop and recharge and makes me better at making decisions ongoing every day of my life. And that's where the big recharge is so, so important. You know, I've talked about little small state changes, the walking out of the desk, you know, going outside for 10 minutes in gaps that you've figured out works for you. I've talked about nutrition. I've talked about um, little, other little naps and stuff like that. But really, I actually think one of the biggest things that you could do is introduce into your life a big recharge. Now, you don't have to learn to meditate. It is even just going outside, closing your eyes for 15 minutes and having a bit of a nap. And I know for a lot of people go, oh, you know, but I'm at work and stuff. You can make it work. You can make it work. I worked in an office when I was in America for four months. I went and I went hidden in a room that nobody ever used every day for 20 minutes and meditated. But again, these types of things are things that you don't understand until you've done them too well. Actually, I've got a lady in my running group called Linda, and um, she's been going through a bit of a tough period with the earthquakes and stuff, and she, she, I was talking to her about meditation, and she actually got some tapes. I'm not sure what tapes they were, but she had some tapes that were around mind thinking about relaxation. And she started doing those every day, and, and she said to me, the effect on her life has been absolutely huge that suddenly she just has a clearer... And it was fascinating. She was talking about how she has a clearer process of making decisions. It's like things seem easier. And ultimately, I think where this stuff all comes into place. Meditation and some of the deeper level meditations are amazing things, and, and, and I, I really recommend you explore those and where they can take you. But really, I see one of the biggest values from doing these things is that really, at the end of the day, you are just recharging that cup of energy you're taking it from empty this world that creates empty cups for everyone out there to making it full more often throughout the day and when you're doing that you're allowing yourself and you're putting yourself in a place where you are making better decisions more often where you have the energy to to resist temptation where you have the energy to get out the door and train effectively where you have the energy to to be there for your partner and be there for your kids in a way that actually makes them feel good when you have that energy and you make those decisions, suddenly your life starts to go in a better direction. You achieve better things and you eliminate a lot of the guilt that comes with bad decisions. And, and I haven't really even touched on that today. You know, when you do go through a vending machine and you have that chocolate bar, how bad do you feel about yourself afterwards and what, what path does that take you down? When you're into that fourth hour of work and you're just really sitting on Facebook and you think to yourself, oh man, I really should be getting this work done, but then you just go check your emails again for the 15th time that hour. How bad does that make you feel? When you go out the door and you go for a run, but you actually just plot along, you know, instead of doing an hour, you do 30 minutes. Is that helping you achieve the thing you want to do? But to do those things well, you've got to have the right mind energy to achieve that. And to implement the stuff we've talked about today into your life is really massive. We live in a world where we understand that the physicals have limits and that for the physical to be successful, you have to have strategies to recover it, to let it to adapt and to be strong, to get better and better. But I don't think we acknowledge enough that the mental is a similar thing, that we have a cup full of energy in the morning when we wake up and as the day goes on, that cup is getting depleted more and more. 
we want to be successful in making decisions, decisions that are right for you, we need to have strategies that put in place an opportunity for that cup to fill up more and more with energy. It can be the small state change. It can be the nutrition. You can explore meditation, and I highly recommend you do. I highly recommend you do because I believe that one of the biggest benefits of meditation is that because it recharges your mind halfway through your day, that you then make better decisions. But even if you don't want to explore meditation, you can look for that deep level recharge by just having a sleep, by sitting down and doing a breathing pattern. There's lots of different techniques out there. Have spent some time exploring this stuff. When you do that, you'll get better and better at making decisions, which will make you further and further on a path in the area that you want to go in. Before I talked about the negative of bad decisions. But imagine if you can eliminate a lot of those bad decisions in your life and implement great decisions because you have the right mind space to do that. Ultimately, I feel that's taking you back in the right direction towards being the best version of yourself. Right, guys. Well, that's uh, this month's show. Uh, pretty much wrapped up in the in the can, as you would say. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I think it's a really interesting subject, and I think it's the one thing we, you know, to consciously think about this stuff, to actually consciously look and determine those times in your day where you start to go in that downward spiral in your decision making process, and, and put strategies in place to you know so you get you that recharge happening. I think it's you know it's an area we don't really identify with in society so much in today's world, but I think. Um, by doing it you could have a really really big opportunity to, to put yourself in a place where you make better decisions more often as always I've got a workbook for this month's show and it's it's kind of based around obviously the thinking we've just talked about but it's kind of based around you having a look at your day trying to figure out you know, when you can have some breaks and, and it's funny because it's funny when it comes to the workplace thing I think this is really interesting is that with the workplace we feel a sense of guilt if we were to work away from, walk away from our office desk so you know if we look at some of the stuff we talked about in the show where you know you do four hours of work but really last kind of 45 minutes leading into lunch you're really just Facebooking wasting time on non-productive stuff and it's funny how there's that guilt associated or that kind of way of thinking installed in us that where we should be sitting at our desk but actually if you stop the two hours spent 10 minutes minutes walking up you're actually going to have a much more productive next two hours anyway so i suppose over time i hope that workplaces actually understand that more and more but anyway i'm, I'm, I'm waffling but i've got a workbook for it you can have a look at it it's really great three dollars as always you can get it on my website bevanjamesisles.com under the post for this latest show you can get that there uh first question i've got here i've got some questions here and the first question is from emma b and emma b um i love the last name and she actually calls herself b which is all good because that's sometimes my nickname too emma so there you go but anyways emma's just got some questions regarding heart rate training she's got a couple cardio sessions she does at the german she's obviously got herself a heart rate but she's not really sure how she should be using her her heart rate monitor as a way to figure out intensities of a session and while, while heart rate monitors are a great tool to have, the, actually the key to having a heart rate monitor is to get the testing done first. So what is the testing? Well, you probably need to go to a local university or somewhere that has the ability to do a lactate threshold test. And what a lactate threshold test does is it, they basically get you on some exercise device. It could be a treadmill or a bike or something like that. They tend to do them on treadmills. 
And what they're doing is they're figuring out how your heart rate goes up as intensity of exercise goes up. And then they're looking for the point where the lactate threshold comes on board. And that's basically, lactate is, is basically, when you know when you run as fast as you can, you get that kind of hurting feeling in your legs. Well, that's kind of the lactate building up. And it gets to a point where it will literally just, you kind of slow down or you, you can't hold it any longer. And when you do your lactate threshold test, they're figuring out where that point is. Then once you've done your test, they give you training zones based on that result. So if your lactate threshold sits at 170 beats per heart rate, then you know that when you're working 170 beats, you're going as hard as you can. And then what they do is they'll give you different zones around your training. So they may say an easy heart rate for someone with 180 beats would be around 120 beats. And then for someone who, you know, then the medium heart rate would be between 120 and 130 and so on. Why is this important? Well, it's one thing to have a heart rate monitor, but if to know what your zones are, then you can actually set different outcomes for different workout sessions that you're going to do. So let's say you look at your training week and you go, okay, well, first of all, this day I've got an easy training day, so I want to do a session on the bike where I stay within my medium heart rate zone. So I want to sit somewhere between 120 and 130. But then I might have some intervals where I try to go to my hard zone, so I'm trying to get up to over 180 and so on. So really, I suppose my, my key piece of advice for you, Emma, is that you actually get in and you get a, a lactate threshold done. From there, they'll give you some zones that you can work on. Now, the fitter you get, the, the zones will increase, so the zones will change over time if you get fitter. But to really for me to just to say that these are the zones that you want to work on is not really realistic. So get a test done, figure out where your zones are, and then actually set your training plans around those zones. So you look at your week, you think when you want to go harder, and then you'll be basing your training, you'll be targeting the heart rates that you're going for towards the zones that you've learnt from your lactate threshold test. I hope that kind of helps because... Um, it's kind of hard just to do a quick kind of wrap up here, but hopefully it gives you an idea of where it's at when it comes to heart rate zones. The next question I had was from Robin, and Robin was just saying, oh, Robin was just saying that she loved the uh, David Kessler interview. Um, she had not heard of his book before, and she's just found it so interesting. She actually went home. Now this is really funny. So it's one of those kind of how funny how the world works kind of emails. So she uh, had never heard of David Kessler, and she actually heard the interview that we did with him. Was it probably almost a year ago now? And she just found it really interesting. But then she went to a seminar with a personal trainer that night after listening to the show, and David Kessler's book was on display as a part of the useful and healthy resources. So there was just kind of one of those kind of do do moments. And also I just got an email here from Helen which is a little bit applicable to today's show and she was just basically asking um, a little bit around the meditation that we were going to do meditation on the last show and I didn't. She was just asking where do you go to learn to meditate and to be honest when it comes to resources there are so many resources out there you know you can even just start off with finding some meditation podcasts and there's some, some meditation podcasts that will actually take you through techniques but you'll find in your local area if you look up in, in the Google or Yellow Pages or something like that You'll find there are actually quite a few meditation courses out there. When it comes to quality, I don't know which ones would be good or which ones would be bad, but that's something you can just explore a little bit yourself. Ask some people who have done the course, ask for some references, see if it's kind of go, just trial it out, see if it works for you. I do think it's really important when you're first starting out is to have someone to guide you through that first process because, like I was saying in the show, it is that whole running thing where you just don't, you, you know, I have to admit when I first did it, I kind of felt I was doing it wrong for the first kind of month and it wasn't until I kind of got that six week period where I actually understood what I was doing was working and to the point where now I'm, I'm you know like I'm 
well, not that advanced at it, but I, I kind of get in this mental state with it pretty quickly, and it's a pretty amazing experience. So if, my advice for you, Helen, is just do some research in your local area. There will be some people out there helping out with it, and uh, that should really help with you in getting that. I did have another email, but I think I'm going quite long today, so I'll probably read the email out next month. Again, if you do have any questions, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com or check out my website, bevanjamesisles.com, and there's a link to email me from there. That's uh, pretty much this month's show. I just want to say once again, thank you to everyone for supporting the show. Um, if you want to donate to the show, you can go to my website, Bevan James Isles, put a little donation in there, and also the workbooks are there as well. Uh, I suppose the other thing is um, you guys are putting feedback on iTunes, and some of the feedback you put on there is really, really great. Like, it's, you know, I go on there occasionally and check it out, and... I don't know. It's, 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 I suppose it's really nice to know that the work I'm doing with this show is helping you guys in some small way, and uh, I appreciate you guys putting the time aside to go and put something up on iTunes and tell your friends about the show. So keep doing that because I really, really appreciate it. Other than that, this month, well, it's about a week from Christmas here in Christchurch. My partner and I are heading down to Wanaka. Joe and I are heading to Wanaka to do some camping, and then we're hopefully going to go do a walk on one of the beautiful trails in the South Island. Um, it's a beautiful three or three or four day walks out there. That would be pretty cool to go check out. So we're going to check those out and then come back and start off for next year. Next year is going to be a fascinating year because I've got some big plans and some things that I've put in place in this year and I want to take them to the next level. It's uh, This year has been a very dramatic year in my life but also a very exciting year and, and some opportunities come out of it that I never thought was possible. So yeah, so yeah, bring on next year. Just lastly, I suppose, if you are looking for some coaching from me, I do have one spot available right now. I'm currently have eight clients, so I limit it to ten, but I don't kind of coming into Christmas, I don't want to take too many on. So if you want to if you want to get a coaching session, check it out. Go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com. Other than that, this is a pretty long show that I think I'd better wrap it up. And considering I talk so fast, I'm thinking there's a lot of content in there. So you guys have a great month. Have a wonderful Christmas. Have a wicked New Year's. And spend it with your family. Spend it with your friends. Get out there. Have a great time. And I'll be seeing you guys in the new year. Thanks for all your love and support this year. And I'll see you guys. And uh, keep on rocking on. And see you same time next month.